Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The picture that we see here of Eliezer showering these gifts on Rebecca and her family, that's a picture of how God showers his gifts on us. And when we read in verse 53 about, it says this word, the precious things. He gives precious things that's the Hebrew word migdana, migdana, and it comes from the same root as meged. And, and Moses wrote about these precious things in Deuteronomy 33. And in this chapter, Deuteronomy 33, Moses knows that he's going to soon die. He knows that he's about to check out of this earth. And he's going to die soon. So in Deuteronomy 33, he says, okay, now I'm going to go. I'm going to die. So I'm going to bless each of the tribes of Israel. That's what he does. And so when he gets to the tribe of Joseph, he begins to speak about the, the precious things that God has given. And he says in verses 13 through 16 of Deuteronomy 13 through 16, he says, and of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord be his land. So now he's going to talk about Joseph's land. And then he says, for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep that coucheth beneath. And for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun. And for the precious things put forth by the moon. And for the chief things of the ancient mountains and the precious things of the lasting hills. And for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof. And for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. So in these verses, Moses is leading Israel to think about the precious things from God. Moses could have wrote this hymn, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. That's what he's doing here. And he's speaking about precious things from heaven. You know, the dew that falls at night and waters the ground and the rain, which we got yesterday. Wasn't that wonderful? Those are precious from God, as precious from God. And then Moses refers then next to how precious the waters are that are under the earth. And they just come up with a spring. They just spring right up there. So, yeah, speaking of water, I don't know. This distracted me. I thought it was a cat. I thought, what's he doing in here? And then he refers to the precious things the sun brings forth, like the fruit on the trees and the vegetables and the grass that the cattle eat. So much grass in Africa. you know. And then he, Moses refers to the precious things that the moon brings forth. You know, the moon. I mean, I remember one time, I was traveling with my friend Avi in Israel, and we were driving to Caesarea, and we stopped, and there was this field, and he pointed out to me this flower. I've never seen a flower like this. He said, it's closed during the daytime, and then the moonlight makes it open. That's precious. 
Moses refers to these precious things, then the hills like the gold and the silver. And with these thoughts of the precious things that God has given, then Moses then turns and says, now that you're thinking about that, why does God give all those precious things? Because he has goodwill to us. And then I want you to think about that's the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush, the burning bush. So the message that came out of the burning bush was that, Moses, I want you to, I want to save Israel from extinction, uh, from extermination here. Dying Jewish people in Egypt, I've come down. And that was the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Why was God in the bush? Because the bush is where Moses was. Moses was by these bushes. So he wanted to save Israel through Moses, so he came and dwelt in the bush. Why did God become a man in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's where man is. Man is with man. That's a profound statement, I know. And so he wanted to come where man was. So like we said in John 1.14, the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. So just as God came into the bush, God came into flesh to reach man. And it was all about goodwill, the goodwill, the precious things, the goodwill of God, the goodwill. And he came in the flesh. And when he came in the flesh, the angels said in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men was goodwill. Now, in verse 54, Eliezer finally allows everybody to eat. He says, now we can eat. It says that, and the men were, they couldn't eat either. Nobody could eat. But in verse 54, it says, and they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning, and he said, send me away unto my master. So the food, maybe it got a little cold, I don't know, but anyways. Now the time for the celebration. And everybody is eating and drinking. It's just a joyous time, and he spends the night. Spends the night. So now we can see, when we come to the next verse here, that the party and this good time, it didn't cause Eliezer and his men to say, well, let's just sleep in. You know, we had a lot of partying last night. Let's just sleep in. No, no, no. It says, in the morning, the point is made. In the morning. They rose up in the morning, and he said, send me away unto my master. So we see here Eliezer, he's very focused on the fact that his job is not over until he delivers the bride to Isaac. And we see him getting up here in the morning, he's agitated. And the first thing he says is, send me away unto my master. You know, I think about Eliezer a little bit. I mean, he had never been treated so well before he's a servant, you know. With all that food and that drink and Rebecca's family, I mean, they're treating him like royalty, you know, already. And he's just a servant for Abraham. He doesn't even, we don't even have the honor of seeing his name here in this chapter. I mean, he's like a nobody, but he's treated like a king with this party. I mean, he's like in Las Vegas and they've given him the penthouse suite, you know, and every pleasure he could imagine. It's all there. And we can imagine how tempting it was for Eliezer to say, you know, what would it hurt if we just stayed here a little longer after all? You know, this, we had to have the, you know, the dusty trail or all these pleasures. It sure beats that 125 mile uh, ride on the back of a camel home. So let's just stay a while. Let's just enjoy it. Not Eliezer. Not Eliezer. What we see Eliezer doing, the first thing in the morning, he wants to go. He wants to leave. All that eating and drinking, that didn't make Eliezer forget his mission. He presses them for an immediate decision to send him away now with Rebecca. See, his refusal to let his desire to continue to enjoy the pleasures in Rebecca's house and instead press on to finish his mission, that's an example for us of what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, deny his own desires for pleasure, and take up his cross daily, gonna be a daily issue, and follow me. 
See, that took a lot of denying himself for Eliezer to want to cut that short with all that royal treatment. That's where he's a great example. You know, the world affords us a lot of opportunities to enjoy ourselves. I mean, the voice of temptation, same one that came to Eliezer. Take it easy in life. Don't knock yourself out already. Tomorrow you can do the will of God. There'll be plenty of opportunities to serve God. Now's the time to enjoy, kick back, enjoy yourself. You've earned it. You deserve it. Don't work so hard to serve God. And we have examples in the Bible of people who did yield to that temptation, such as Gehazi, Elijah's servant, where he saw this opportunity. He says, well, you know, Elijah's a fool. I mean, this man's offering him gold, and Naaman the Syrian is offering him gold and raiment and so forth. He doesn't want to enrich himself, but I'd like to enrich myself. So I'll just go there. What's the harm? A little white lie, you know, Elijah went to take some gold. So after all, he was just trying to enrich himself a little for his retirement because the pay wasn't so good with Elijah. <laughs> when he returned to Elijah's house, Elijah said to him in 2 Kings 5, 26, he said unto him, went not my heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? See, for Eliezer, he knew this was not the time for him to live it up and enjoy himself. He had work to do. And likewise for us, this is not the time for us down here on earth to say, well, I can't wait till I get to retirement. I'm going to enjoy myself finally. We have work to do as long as we're here on earth. When our work is done and the role is called up yonder, that'll be the time. So Eliezer, he asked them to say, send me away. And they respond in verse 55. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days and at the least 10. After that, she shall go. Now, notice how they respond here. They respond with this kind of this indefiniteness of exactly how long she'll stay. You know, a few days. Usually a few days means three. You know, a couple is two and a few is three, right? (laughs) Notice what they said. They said, you know, let the damsel abide here with a few days at the least 10. So now there's a redefinition of what few means. It's at least 10. And Eliezer's no fool. He's heard that. When he saw that they redefined this, he understood, I got a problem on my hands. And the problem was that there was a disconnect now between what they said and what they were doing. See, they promised in verse 51, Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her, go. Let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. But now in verse 55, they're not letting her go. They're not letting her be taken. They're not letting her be taken as Isaac's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. So Eliezer's faced with this problem of their say-so doesn't match their do-so. And Elias is not the only person who's ever faced that problem, where the say-so doesn't match the do-so. And the Lord is faced with this problem. I mean, how many times have we sung, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. And then we sing that, and then do we surrender all? Or we say, oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee till the end. And does our life look like that? of service to God to the end. My life, my all, I give to thee, thou Lamb of God who died for me. I'll live for him who died for me. And then the question is, have we given our lives to the Lamb of God who died for us? So just as Eliezer hears their commitment to send Rebekah away in verse 51, so God hears our commitments to surrender all to him, serve him to the end, give him our life, our love, and live for him forever. And just as Eliezer saw that it, when it came time to send Rebekah, there was this refusal to send her, and it was couched in this indefinite delay. Yeah, a few days, at least 10. After that, she'll go. And so we have the same refusal 
of the surrender, the serve, the give, the live, and it's couched in the form of later, after I've done this, after I've accomplished that, then, see, just like Eliezer, the Lord Jesus Christ was faced with this refusal couched in this form of an indefinite delay. He saw whenever he heard these words, let me first go and, and he heard that in Luke 9, 57 through 62, where it says, and it came to pass that as soon as that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Well, it seems like enough. Well, why would that request be turned out? Bury your father. I mean, how many times do you have to bury your father? Just once. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So he said, no. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at my home unto my house. So he's going to leave them forever. What's so bad? He's got to go home and say goodbye. Jesus said unto him, no man, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, it's significant that in both these cases, the two, they couch their refusals to follow with a delay in the form of let me first go. See, both of them called Jesus Lord. Both of them said Lord to Jesus. They called him Lord, but they didn't obey him. Their say-so did not match their do-so. Both these men and the disciples called Jesus Lord, but the difference was the, the immediate obedience was missing. See, in the case of these men, they call him Lord, but they don't immediately follow him. Later, I'll follow you. First, I go. In contrast, when you take the case of Peter and Andrew and James and John, their obedience was so dramatic, there wasn't one shred of later after I first go and. And this is what set Peter and Andrew and James and John apart. And it's one word. It's translated as two English words. It's the same Greek word. It's one word. You might want to turn to it. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. If you could please turn to that. I don't ask you to turn to very many past scriptures, so it's not such a hardship. <laughs> okay, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. So here in this passage, it's a calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And it says in Matthew 4, 18, Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Just think about this. I mean, think about what happened here. I mean, one day, the Lord Jesus is walking on the seashore of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're working together, the two brothers. They're casting their net into the sea. And that was one of several nets that they had. I mean, those nets, what did those nets represent to them? Those nets represented their livelihood. They made money with those nets. And those nets were their financial security. I mean, those nets, they represented their working together as brothers. They were throwing the net in unison for it to land on the water and they catch the fish. They represented a camaraderie of work, working together as brothers. That net was one of several nets that they had. See, the net that they were using it was just that one right then, but they had several nets in case one got a hole in it, they could use the other one. And after they worked in the sea, then they would they mend their nets. So those nets were important. That represented their assets. And the care of those nets represented the focus of their attention. And so those nets gave them an identity. As it says, they were fishers. 
in verse 18. They're casting a net, for they were fishers. Their family had been fishermen. So just those nets bound those fish together, those nets bound all the people in the family together as fishermen. So those nets represented their family heritage. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus appears, and he calls them them to leave the nets and follow him. And for them to leave those nets, that meant they were leaving their financial security. They were leaving the feeling of camaraderie, of working together as brothers. They were leaving their focus of their attention, of their care of the nets. They were leaving their identity as fishermen. They were leaving their family heritage. And one day, at one moment, the Lord Jesus comes to them and says, follow them, which meant leave their nets. And they did. And that's why the word is so important in verse 20, where it says, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. The Greek word is eutheos, and and it's a critical statement. And this statement here, when they straightway, the eutheos, right away left their nets, that set Peter and Andrew apart from the ones we just read about. And they looked at their nets, and they saw those nets. They knew they represented financial security, camaraderie, identity, family heritage. And they didn't say, you know, I'll leave my nets to follow you, but let me first get another source of finances. Or let me first go and sell these nets at least, and I could build up a little kitty here for me to live off of. Or I'll leave my nets to follow you, but let me first have time to study who's following you because those are going to be people I'm going to work with. I just want to make sure I can work with these people. I'll leave my nets to follow you, but let me first go say goodbye to my family, my father. No, there was no let me first go. There was just a straightway left their nets and followed him. And then the account goes on in the calling of James and John where it says that after the Lord called Peter and Andrew and they followed him, he just continues walking on the beach and he sees James and John and they're in a ship with their father. They're mending their nets. And the Lord calls James and John. And everything that the nets represented to Peter and Andrew represented the same for James and John. Only they also had a ship here and their father. And the Bible makes a point of telling us in verse 22, they immediately, and that's the same Greek word, eutheos, they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So we're told that their response to the Lord's call was immediate. And it's the same Greek word, as I mentioned here. And so in both cases, what's characterizing them is this immediate response was the immediacy of the response that made the difference. See, in the case of James and John, it wasn't only that they left their nets, but they had to leave the ship with their father in it. You know, they didn't say, well, let me first go and ask my father if it's okay with him if I leave, follow. No, there was immediacy. There's no record of Peter and Andrew and James and John ever having second thoughts about what they did. There's no record of them later on saying, you know, that was kind of a pretty hasty decision. I really didn't have much time to think about it while I was leaving. Now I had some time. You know, I kind of missed that financial security and that camaraderie and part about being a fisherman. You know, I feel homesick. There was none of that talk. There's no record of any of them looking back. They only look forward. They didn't look back. They only look forward. They never looked back because the Lord said, you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. See? That was in Luke 9, 62. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No looking back. There's no sitting around a campfire at night and saying, uh, you know, that we, Peter says, hey, Andrew, you remember those days when we used to fish together? Weren't those great days? You know, the James and I, do you remember when we used to fish with our father, with dad? We were with dad. You know, it was great, wasn't it? I mean, he would show us how to do stuff. We worked together. Remember how great those days are? Boy, I'm missing those days. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm missing them too. None of that talk. It never happened. There was no talk about the good old days of the past. There was only talk about the good new days in the future. And that's what made them different. It was their immediacy of their response where their say-so was the same as their do-so. And that's what the Lord did not find in Israel. 
And that's what he said in Isaiah 29, 13. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. See, this honoring God with words, but lack of the immediate response is what Moses said. God cried over that. He lamented him in Deuteronomy 5, 28 through 29. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I've heard the voice of their words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there was such an heart in them that they would fear me, keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. He commands them. He says, good words, very well spoken, well said. But he says, the heart's not there. He said, oh, that there was a heart. He said, I want to do you good. I really do. I want to do you good. I want to see it be good for you, for you and your children. And it breaks my heart that your say-so doesn't match your do-so because it's not going to go well with you, and I see it all. And it's not going to go well with your children. And then Eliezer says in verse 56, he says, whoa, hinder me not. Send me away. See, in verse 55, you know, Laban's and Bethuel's say-so didn't match their do-so, and he comes with a strong protest. And Eliezer protests strongly in this verse, verse 56, and he uses a Hebrew word that we find for the first time in the Bible here, and it's translated as hinder. But it's the word achar, and it means to tarry. It's the same word that's used in Proverbs 23, 30, where it says, they that tarry long, achar, at the wine. See, it means to stay there a long time drinking wine. And David used this word in a prayer to God when he said in Psalm 40, verse 17, when he said, Make no tarrying, oh my God. Don't achar. So Eliezer is saying to them, don't delay. Don't make me procrastinate. Don't make me stall. And Eliezer said they shouldn't delay because the Lord has prospered his way. The Hebrew word translated as prospered is the word salach. And it's the same word that's translated very graphically, that's seen very graphically in Amos 5, 6, where it says, seek the Lord and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. So it's the word break out. It's salach. So the image here is salach is breaking out like a fire. How does fire break out? Fire pushes forward with no restraint. Fire consumes obstacles like trees in its way. And if there's an obstacle it can't consume like a rock, it goes around it. Fire pushes forward. Fire breaks out. And this is what Eliezer is telling to Laban and Bethuel. The Lord has made his way to tzalach, to break forward, to push forward like fire. So Eliezer is saying to them, don't stand in the way because the Lord is doing this. And if you stand in the way and be an obstacle and Rebecca coming, then the Lord will tzalach you. He'll push forward with you. He'll break out like a fire. He'll remove the obstacle. And so again, he makes his plea to them in verse 56, as he did in verse 54. Send me away already. Send me away to Abraham. And that's where we'll stop this morning. And next study, we'll continue with the response of Rebecca. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, the way you teach us from your word and challenge us by these men of God who were examples to us, Lord. They've, they're now with you. They've gone before, but the the record of their testimony and how they lived for you has been left behind like the mantle that fell from Elijah to Elisha. And so, Lord, we pray that we would, we would uh, learn from what's been left behind for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Start 2017 off right at Sunday Night Church. Join Bible teacher Tom Cantor on New Year's Day for evening worship at the Friendship with God Fellowship Services located at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Sunday, January 1st, it's the first day of the new year, but also the last day of Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. To commemorate Hanukkah, we'll have a menorah lighting, amazing soft guignot desserts, latkes, Hanukkah music, history of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah dreidel games and more. Our food and dessert fellowship starts at 4.30 p.m., and then 5.30 p.m., we'll hear an inspiring New Year's Bible message from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. If you're not in San Diego, you can live stream services and watch messages at friendshipwithgod.org. Celebrate 2017 and the last night of Hanukkah with dreidels, drinks, desserts, and more on Sunday evening worship with Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship located at the Creation and Earth History Museum on Woodside Avenue North in Santee. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.